Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to another episode of the Grinding Street Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Mack. And at today, narrating will be Todd Fox. And before we get into the show, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just type in Grinding True Crime, <laughs> Grinding True Crimes, and there you can follow our page, like our page, and leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Go to redbubble.com, type in Top Fox 80, and there you can get merchandise courtesy of Running to Crime. And if you like what you hear and want to support our cause, you can uh, leave a Cash App donation. Just go to Cash App. And type in dollar sign grinding true crimes. Okay, with that being said, that was the introduction. I believe. No, that's it. That's it. Uh, one thing I want to say is listeners' discretion is advised because we do get into details that can be gruesome and graphic for a certain audience. So, listener discretion is advised. Okay, well, this is it. This is the the finale of part three of the uh, Richard Ramirez Night Stalker episode, and Todd is going to finish this up. So, Todd, you have the floor. Thank you, but real quick, uh, before I get into it, uh, I did want to mention the fact that uh, Sherry, uh, one of our fans, uh, did want me to mention, because it is in her um, country, obviously, and She's part of the monarchy and, and uh, what happened there with Queen Elizabeth passing away. She oh. died. She wanted me to mention that uh, at the age of 96, passing away. Um, she was around with Winston. Uh, was it Churchill? Or, Winston Churchill? Yeah, that was one of her uh, people. She was she was uh, he was one of the commanders and taking care of the monarchy over there in uh, England. And and uh, she was did a lot of things for human uh, human human things to uh uh humanitarian aid i mean and uh, also uh you know the list goes on and on with the royal family so we just wanted to uh give a shout out to our uk friends over there and as the the country mourns uh passing of a true legend uh just how it was with princess diana uh they were both uh females uh in lead roles that made the most of it and did a lot of things unselfishly and taking care of uh a lot of wrongs that were uh, committed by the country in the past, you know what I mean? Like freeing different countries and uh, having aid to those less fortunate. So just want to mention that. Well, thank you, Todd. And, and for those in the UK, we mourn with you. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. just want to give a shout out there. A couple of people actually hit me up on that one. So, uh, well, let's get into uh, this case here, uh, the Richard Ramirez Part 3, The Night Stalker. Um, as we left off before, uh, he was just getting into 
finding out that he got the name the Night Stalker from the media and the press. And, uh, you know, he had just came off some more murders and the police were having no luck in identifying him whatsoever. So if you're new to this uh, show and this is the first episode you're hearing, I implore you to go back to the first two episodes because there's some gruesome things in there, a lot of details. Um, in episode one, we get into the beginnings and uh, how he became to be who he is. Uh, and then there was uh, also last the last episode was very gruesome because we got into a lot of drugs, satanic things. It was. Yeah, a lot of murders. So there was a lot of uh, unfortunate things that happened in that uh, time period. So as we're all ready to go in this one, um, part three starts off with him being full of himself. Um, he realized that he needed to be more careful. He was seeing himself lead the news and in the newspapers. He was, you know, his the picture of the sketch that they had of him not knowing who he was was everywhere. So he decided to get a police scanner because he wanted to be one step ahead of the police. And uh, he also wanted to make a statement. He's, as you know, he was known for... He had molested kids, he had raped women, shot guys in the head, shot women in the head, tortured people. He wanted to bring another snag to his repertoire. What do you think he wanted to do? How do you think he wanted to escalate what he's, what's already been ex escalated to the extreme? I'm going to say mutilation or filming. Matt? I, I think I know, but... I'm not too sure. So I'm going to say um, probably carving people, um, the dead people carving images or something like that. Carving that star. Yeah, he had already done the penta pentagram. So he had uh, already done that. And he already had done that on people like the mutilation. But I think Gabby was, you know, I think a little bit right there. She's trying to, you know, I think he wants to ramp it up. So it's going to be a little more than mutilation and just carving the people. He... He actually purchases a machete and his his way of thinking is now that I'm mainstream, I'm in the police, you know, you know, I, they know about me. I've got to do something. So what he wants to do is at the next murder, he's planning, thanks to Satan's guidance, as he says, he wants to take the machete <clears throat> and he wants to chop the heads off of his next victims and leave them in their front yard. That's kind of like with his uh, cousin or with his, with his cousin? Yes, with his cousin. Military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's thinking, hey, you know what? Let's do this. So he's got a plan in place. And on the night of March 20th, 1985. We have a date. We do have a date. And what happens when we have a date? Something, Something horrible. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's no uh, no difference. And again, the uh, if you're looking for an accent episode, this isn't one of them. So I'm, I'm not. There's not too much playing around in this one, and and the detectives are good. So that's you know I can't really get into that. No, no Johnsons on this one. I may be able to get into one at the end of the story because there's something there that we could explore, mm -hmm. but uh, not right now. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> well, well, that's again stuff that was left out of the original episode oh, that we did. Okay. Yeah. I got so he comes upon the Needing's house, which is Max and Lila, or Lila Needing. Um, they were a couple in their 60s out in Glendale, California. Um, he would Richard would sneak into their room 
uh, through a sliding glass door. And again, this is in an area which is affluent. It's nice. It's quiet. And even though the Night Stalker is running rapid and it's all over the news, these older people are from a different area of, of uh, the United States in the um, Midwest where they don't lock their doors. And uh, Oh, boy. Yeah, he came upon them and uh, he... He came up on, on Max, and Max jumped up as he made a noise coming into the room, and Max kind of like charged at him. Richard swung the machete and hit him square in the neck. Um, but he was pissed off because the knife got or the machete got stuck in his neck, and just think of that. I mean, you got a machete sticking out of your neck, and you're still alive. It's not killing you. And all Richard can think about is why didn't it chop off his head? Mm. Yeah. So that's how that's how um, what stuck is it? on the bone. Yeah, that's how um, sick this guy is. He doesn't care that the dude's got the blade in his neck. He's he was bleeding out. He just cares that damn you know didn't take off his head. So oh. yeah. So Richard takes out his gun in frustration and pops the uh, the man in the head. And then goes over to Lila and sh- and uh, shoots her three times, kills her. Um, right away, within about a thirty seconds to a minute, he's you know rummaging through the house, and the police scanner says, "Hey, shots fired in the Glendale area. Someone already just called it in." So Richard is like, "Damn it! I can't stick around and do the things I want to do." And, you know, it didn't go well. Like, I, I, I don't have time because he was he was thinking about right now. He's like, I'm going to rummage through the house and I'm going to take the machete and I'm going to saw their heads off and put them out in their front yard and take off. This guy is so sick and twisted. And just like a kid that doesn't get what he wants to do, he wants more. That's what he did. He said, you know what? This isn't enough. So with the police on their way, he takes off. And he leaves the, the, the Glendale house and the two murdered, uh, unfortunate victims there, the couple. And he begins he to... grab the machete? Yeah, he took the machete. He took the machete and uh, he took his gun and he he left. Um, but he did leave some shoe prints again. Those Avia shoe prints that we talked about oh, last please. episode. Yeah. Uh, so by this time, um, he goes driving about a good 30 minutes away. It's about 4 a.m. And on the same night of March 20, 1985, he gets to Sun Valley, which is a little west of Glendale. Um, he pulls up to the residence of Charang Kavana. Uh, so I, I think they're uh, um, Asian background. Or no, not uh, Asian background. Oh, they're Indian, I'm sorry. Indian background. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, checking points of entry... He doesn't see anything right away. He's about ready to give up on the house. You know, like he's like, ah, you know, it's, I, I, I'm going to go to the next house. He's, uh-huh. a, he's scoping out this neighborhood, but one thing catches his eye. It's that back sliding glass door. Uh-huh. And how many people out there don't lock their black back sliding glass door? A lot of people. I don't. <laughs> I just got, before I did this story, I started. Lo- uh, I, I was I was leaving it unlocked, and now I'm like I'm locking it. <laughs> You're telling me when we were at your house, Todd, we were unsafe. How dare you? It was unlocked. Yes. <laughs> How dare what? you, man? Well, I figure I have the no, two gates on the side what? of the house, and they have no, it, locks. But it was not unlocked. 
because my OCD makes me check glass doors and I shut the blinds everywhere. And mm-hmm. when I went to the door inside unlocked, I locked it. Oh, well, there you go then. Thank you. <laughs> so you protected us because I figured we had those side entryways and they had the padlocks on them. But uh, you can jump those. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That is true. Yeah. Dang it, Todd. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so he, he goes to that backsliding glass door, gives it a shot, and lo and behold, it opens up. Um, he goes in, and he finds the husband in bed and the wife sleeping right next to him. And here's where it's, um, again, if uh, listener discretion advised, if you want to fast forward like 30 seconds or so, I would suggest doing so. Um, he shoots uh, the husband in the head and kills him instantly. Um, the wife and son, the son is in another room, gets up and starts screaming. He grabs the wife, tells the kid to shut up, uh, else he's going to kill the, the mom. And the kid stays quiet. He ties the mom up. Then he proceeds to tie the eight-year-old up. Um, then he proceeds to rape the mother um abuse her physically before yeah. going to the eight-year-old and oh. mol- molesting and assaulting the son mm. pig he didn't have enough from raping her yep he went right to the son Ugh. and that's not the worst part the worst part is he stays in the house for three hours what he goes through the house ransacking it eating food masturbating and then raping once again the mom and then molesting the son several more times. What the heck? Yeah. And nobody heard that shot. Nobody heard anything. So by the time, you know, the it's called in, he leaves like around seven, eight in the morning. Uh, Some people finally come to the house, discover the, the crime scene uh, the police get called right away because the first responding police officers see a via shoe prints in dust on the hardwood floor. They see the 22 caliber shells. The the mom the wife is um, when she's interviewed uh, talks about the sexual assaults, the physicality, the talking about Satan, the fact that the eight year old boy was molested, and the fact that he had a strong body odor and his breath was putrid. Does he brush his teeth? Apparently not. (laughs) And he he clearly doesn't shower either. No, he doesn't. That guy is full of infections. That's disgusting. Because remember, this guy is still living within probably a block of Skid Row, Los Angeles, which is one of the dirtiest places in America. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matt took me through there. Yeah, it's so heavy what it looks like. Yeah, there is about a good, on any given day, a good 6,000 to 8,000 homeless down there at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And and mixed in with the homeless are either drug addicts, um, criminals, people that have just been let out of prison, uh, rapists. Uh, there, there's the, you don't know who to help, you know what nope. I mean? Because you can't trust anybody. That's what sucks. Because you could have some people that really need help, but... You know, you can't help them because you don't know if they're going to stab you, if they're going to flip mentally, um, if they're just down on their luck or they're drug addicts or they're going to, you know, they're incognito to try to, to take advantage of you. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a dangerous area. And that Hotel Cecil where 
he would live and stay is right down there too. Mm, damn. So, so Richard was in that area. Um, so basically they got a really good drawing of Richard at this time. Um, she gave a detailed description and that's the one that the media started to roll with. That one was all over the newspapers. And I'm uh, surprised, honestly, <clears throat> that he didn't kill her. I'm surprised too. Yeah. For some reason, some you know, he did not he, he or he spared her, you know. Yeah, just normally like he would spare the kids, but not the women. Mm-hmm. So in a span of about five hours, he killed three people and raped, sexually assaulted, and molested a, a child. Oof. So this guy's nuts. He yeah. And this is Oof. all at the time when he's not on drugs. Damn. Oof. Yeah. Um. So uh, he takes two weeks off, and he's you know, and around his hotel in that Skid Row area and everything. And uh, we have another date. It's um, August sixth, nineteen eighty five. The police are frustrated as hell. They can't find this guy. He's all over the news, but they have only the Night Stalker name. They don't have the. Uh, the identity they still don't have nothing <clears throat> so the next city that he would strike in is northridge california which is famous now for the northridge earthquake which mm -hmm. took, which took place uh just less than 10 years after well nine years later mm -hmm. but in 1985 um at 2 a.m he visited a small house off of uh acre street and it was the home of a couple in their 30s by the name of Virginia and Chris Peterson. They were a married couple. Right. Um, Richard looked for a point of entry again and saw his favorite thing, sliding glass door. Uh, and once again, just like Todd's house, the, <laughs> the, the, glass, the glass door was unlocked. Uh, this yeah. is so dumb, though. Like People are already scared. They know there's a serial killer out there. What are you doing leaving your doors unlocked? Exactly. And especially, not I mean, gonna lie. LA County's... Oh, go ahead. Not to cut you off, I'm not going to lie. A lot of people that live in nice areas tend to not lock doors because they feel like where they live, nothing will happen. They're mm -hmm. safe. You know, that only happens in certain neighborhoods. Absolutely. People yeah. just get too comfortable. Yeah. So um, he got in there, and just imagine. I mean, you're. Let's just picture you two sleeping in bed, not a care in the world. It's another night. Matt's got to go to work. Gabby's got things to do. Take the kids to school, and you're just like, someone's in your room. You wake up and someone's looking at you with a gun. That's a scary feeling. Yeah, I mean it's it's the middle of the freaking night, and you wake up to a click of a gun. Oh, no. Yeah. Virginia woke up and stood, sat up in bed, and she yelled at, at the Night Stalker, get out of the house. That was her only first instinct, right? And he just smiles in a, like, in a dark silhouette. You know, you could just probably, and it's not even seeing the pearly whites of his teeth. It's probably seeing the decaying yellowness and whatever slime. The Joker? Yeah, just dripping <laughs> off his oozing yellow teeth. Oh. <laughs> and he, and he pulls nasty, the trigger. Man. I'm sorry. But he, pull, 
<laughs> he pulls the trigger and he gets her right between the eye. Ugh. Damn, this guy's a good shot. She hits the she hits the ground screaming. And he gets up now. Chris gets up and charges the Night Stalker to where he's shot on the side of the head just above the ear. And he hits the ground. Now Richard's cocking the gun because he's going to go for a kill shot because he could see that Chris is, is not dead. What do you think happens next? It got jammed and he couldn't do it. I'm going to say... And Chris gets back up to fight. I'm going to say Chris gets back up and uh, fights him because uh, he wasn't completely down. You guys are both right. But there's a twist. Uh-oh. Yeah. Chris gets up and he gets hit in the face with a gun. But he still grabs uh, Richard. And all Richard's saying is, bitch, because that's all he can muster because he's figuring, I can't believe that he's still alive and he's fighting me. And and Chris is trying to hold him. He's trying to keep him there. And bleeding on the side of his head, Richard can't, you know, he's got his arm kind of pinned down. So Richard can't swing at him. They're sort of just locked up like two boxers. And they're, they're fighting and they're crashing into walls. The twist is his wife regains consciousness <gasps> and she calls 911 right away nice and so richard is fighting with with chris and chris stumbled though just a uh-huh. little bit enough to where richard squeezes out of his arms and runs outside the house just yelling bitch over and over oh my god <sighs> chris chases him outside the house but he can't oh. catch up to him Till he gets into his car and takes off. Wow. I mean, I get it. Your adrenaline is rushing. You you want to hurt this dude. At that point, I'm not even trying to chase him. Yep. Now, sure. <clears throat> here's the thing, though, that was a little bit different on the case. Um, the bullets that were recovered from the case were a 25 caliber, which is a little bit different, little longer bullet, same... Uh, same size almost as a 22 but an older style bullet with a red um casing and uh a marking so it was a really distinct bullet mm-hmm. but the shoe prints were the same the same avia so when the police were notified about that gill and his partner were out there the the detectives from the, and frank salerno the, the det- original detectives were out there checking the case and realizing they had another night stalker case but what's different about this case, too, is that the couple survived. Mm. Both of them. The bullet that went into um, the gentleman's head went through the side of his upper, uh, by the top of his upper ear into his head, but did not strike his brain somehow and went out the other side of his head. So it was a through and through shot. And then the bullet that was shot directly between her eyes, just mm-hmm. above her nose. Uh, his wife, it got uh, Virginia, it got wedged in her neck, missing all vital organs and veins. Dang. So, talk about they should be playing the lottery soon. <laughs> very, 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 very. 
fortunate for them putting up a fight like that. Yeah, but what do you think Richard's psyche was after he found out that both survived? I'm going to say he was mad. He was pissed off. I agree that he was pissed, and I'm thinking in the back of his head, he's planning to go back and finish them off. Now, that would be crazy, but he did not go that far, but you guys are both right now. He's pissed. Now, he's going to try to escalate again. Now, remember, he tried with the machete. Mm -hmm. That didn't work. Now he's going to ramp it up to something else. So after finding out that uh, that he did not murder the two, he actually had prayed to Satan for forgiveness because he failed to accomplish what he set out to do. Yo, this guy is really into it, huh? He sure is. Um, <clears throat> using some of the money he had stolen from previous robberies, he purchased an Uzi. Ooh. What freaking- is that? A Uzi is an automatic gun that can cause havoc. Ooh. It's a little machine gun, like the like a handheld machine gun with a long, mm-hmm. um, you know how you put the clip in the bottom of the clip. gun? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a T-shaped gun. The clip is in the middle on the bottom, and then it's like a... not one of those. Yeah, you see uh, those in the movies all the time. I'll show you what it looks like. You've seen it. I think I shot one in Vegas. I think you probably, had, I think you probably shot an AK. They're very what? illegal, by the way. Yeah. Very. Yeah, I mean, I shot a few illegal weapons. Well, they're illegal here, but not in Nevada. So. Ooh, look at you! Look at you! That's why she incriminated herself. Hey, I have good aim. It's not my fault. See, so if you do get in that sliding glass door, your your ass is grass. <laughs> well, we ain't got no Uzis here. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> exactly. So he got an Uzi now? So now he's got an Uzi. and I don't remember that part. Well, again, this is information left out from last time. Man. So he takes this Uzi now, which is now on his hip, to a date of August 8th, 1985, in the city of Diamond Bar, which is far south. Why are you going way over there? Yeah, far south from where he used to be, because he's trying to get out of the L.A. area. Oh, uh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's trying to broaden his horizons because at this point, Orange County hasn't been touched. So now he's in Diamond Bar. This is Orange County. So it's not not Los Angeles County anymore. Mm-hmm. So he gets to the house of Elias and Sakina Abbott. Abitho. Um, Elias is 35 years old. Um, he's also Indian. He's a computer engineer. His wife is 27 years old. And they have a 10-month-old son. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, not good. It's not, is it? So he gets into the house, and instead of using the Uzi, he takes the 25 caliber gun and sneaks up on Elias, and Elias never never sees it coming. Uh, he dies in his sleep. He gets shot in the head through and through. Um, he's, he's dead point blank. <sighs> the wife wakes up. And immediately said, I was already to your son's room. I know where he is. I will kill him if you don't comply with what I do and what I want. She swears in broken English, I will do anything that you say. I swear to God, please just don't lay a hand on him. And he said, and he slaps her and says, do not swear to God, swear to Satan. So she proceeds to do as he says. And for two hours, She's sexually tortured and raped. 
And in between rapes and torturing, he goes into the kitchen and continues to eat and have a good time, watch a little TV, then go back and do the same thing repeatedly. Ew. I cannot imagine that disgusting man with his disgusting mouth mm-hmm. on you. like <laughs> Smelling like probably crap and pee. And... Probably worse than that. <sighs> if you've seen his... Rotten. Yeah, if you've seen his pictures and what happens afterwards... You can smell the stink. Yeah, you... <laughs> Basically, you look at it, it's like, man, this guy's even greasy in a freaking picture, you know? He's greasy. It's like, it's like one of those, uh, you remember those uh, things in school where you used to be able to scratch and sniff? Like, oh, that's a strawberry. Oh, yeah, that. that's a strawberry. It's like you scratch his picture. Out. Oh, God, that's urine. That's Skid Row. <laughs> and trust us, ladies and gentlemen who's listening, if you ever go to Skid Row, you just know you're on Skid Row. You don't have to ask. You'll just know. Yeah, I mean, quick story. I was driving back with Damien one time, and uh, we were down there for his wedding. Because down in Skid Row, just to the uh, other side of it, you have a lot of areas where you could buy clothes, you know, for cheap. And, you know, there's suit outlets. There's all kinds of outlet stores. So it's a real weird area. And we, we were driving back to get to the freeway through Skid Row, and there's a woman there. And she's starting to take off her clothes because there's a bunch of people on the street. And she's starting to take off her shirt and her top. And I look over and I tell Damien, I'm like, hey, man, that girl's going to get naked. and Something's crazy going to happen. He's uh-huh. like, what? And I said, yeah, just check it out. And then we look over there. We're waiting for the light. And she's butt naked like in 30 seconds running across the street yelling. And then we go about like a half block down. There's a person urinating like a woman, like lifting her skirt and just urinating into the street. Sounds about right. Yeah. And then there's guys like just starting things on fire. It's like, wow, yep. it's a typical day down here. Typical day in Skid Row. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> just wanted to give you a little feedback on that. And I, I'm sure Richard Ramirez smells like all of the above. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, his I'll underwear down probably. Below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his under his underwear probably smell like 1982. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Um. <laughs> So the police, the police were horrified by this. They couldn't believe that this happened in a nice area on a cul-de-sac and Diamond Bar. Um, nobody heard a gunshot. He didn't kill her, though, or he did? He didn't kill her. She, she so, swore. So he's starting to spare the women now. Yeah, he, he spared the women in this case, too. Wow. So, um, so again, this is, this is now getting helicopters flying around in the sky. Um, this is getting uh, the... Uh, the auto theft detail because none of the cars he was taking, obviously he didn't own one. So he's always stealing cars, but they don't know which ones from the crime scene or which when they find stolen cars. So they're like, they're trying to fingerprint all of them because one of them's got to be like the night stalkers, you know? So Um, now every time there's a stolen car close to a homicide that's recovered, the police (laughs) are notifying the homicide division to take a look at the car. So like they've got all hands on deck. I mean, guys are working 20 hours a day on this one. Mm. I would check every stolen car, period. Not just when they're close to the homicide. Yeah, well, these these, these police are just... I mean, they're using all the manpower they got at this point. They're, they're just trying to do this. So it's... it's uh, Right now, it's on everybody's mind. If you're at the water cooler talking, because there's no social media. So, But if there was social media back then, I mean, this would be all over Facebook, Instagram. People would be trying to crack it on these armchair detective websites, everything, right? So, But back we then, would. everyone... Yeah, we would too. We'd be like, "What's going on?" 
<laughs> like, oh, we got a ride, people. Let's go. Yeah. It's like we got we to gotta get to that area and take pictures or something, you know? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, um, you know, everyone's talking about it at work, at school. I mean, like I brought up my story, you know, the other day, you know, my with what happened with my family. I mean, it's scaring everybody. Like everyone's just like, where is he going to strike now? What city is he going to go to? I mean, how is he going to do this? You know, these these things. I mean, how could how could somebody do these things? It's terrible. Yeah. And the drawing, if you guys haven't took a look at it, look at the mugshot or the uh, police description of Richard Ramirez. He he looks scary in those drawings, and it's and it looks just like him in a way. I haven't checked because I've been waiting till we d- we're done with the story. Oh, okay. Well, I'll. I'll I'll put it out there. I'll, you know, so so now that Diamond Bar is involved, a nice area, more cops, more police. He decides I'm gonna take a break. I have a few friends up in San Francisco. Um, I'm gonna go for a drive, <clears throat> or not a drive, a uh, Greyhound, because he doesn't want to take a stolen stolen car up there. So they let him in the Greyhound. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, I mean, have you seen the people that get on Greyhound buses? I've been on a Greyhound. <laughs> yeah, it's not the not the most kosher people. You're not you're not flying first class, so to speak. Absolutely. You know what though? I think the one Greyhound I was on, that everybody was normal. Oh wow. <laughs> That's a rarity. I was coming from Kansas. Oh okay. Because I mean, they I I've been on a Greyhound once where it got pulled over, and they they had caught two illegals. And they got a guy who had a warrant. <laughs> so it's like, well, wow. there's, I go, there's three extra seats open. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Dang. It was pretty crowded. But um, so, yeah, he goes up to San Francisco and he's like, I'm going to take a couple days off. And now it's, you know, he, it's 10 days later after this last occurrence. And it's, uh, you know, August 18th of 1985, 10 days after the previous murder. He gets up to the lakeside district of San Francisco where he came upon uh, not Disney's Peter Pan, but uh, older gentleman uh, Peter Pan, which is a Japanese-American, and his wife. Um, They were a couple in their 60s. And uh, unfortunately, again, he went with the same goddamn MO, which was go through the sliding glass door. And uh, yeah, he came with a 25 caliber gun. And uh, this one's a little disturbing, too, because um, he shoots the husband in the head, Peter, and he passes away right away. Um, He shoots the wife in the head, and she hits the floor. She's gone. Um, He went to the refrigerator and made himself a pretty big meal, and uh, maybe too big of a meal, because he would then projectile vomit all over the living room carpet. Ew. Yeah. And then he would proceed to, as you do after you throw up, masturbate all over the house, which he masturbated on both bodies. I mean, yeah, I mean, because that's we what all we know all do. That. Turn on. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, who 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 doesn't do that? I mean, I mean, whenever I see a dead body in the ground, I just masturbate. Absolutely. I mean, it it shocked me. He, you know. Yeah, he, he did. didn't do that before, right? Jeez, <laughs> so nasty. But he, yeah, I mean he he went through the house just leaving his DNA everywhere. Um, kind of reminds you of the um, Golden State Killer. Same thing, where mm-hmm. he, 
he was just like ejaculating everywhere, not knowing that, hey, this could come back to get me at some point. Um, so that wasn't enough. He took a knife and uh, he carved a pentagram into the wall. And then he wrote in uh, probably in some super big writing. I've seen the picture. It says uh, Jack the Knife or Jack uh, Jack of the Knife or um, yeah, Jack of the Knife. So it was a kind of twist on uh, on the uh, Dis- uh, not the Disney but the McDonald's commercials, Jack of the Night or something like that. It was mm. an older song. Remember that Moon character that McDonald's had? The Mc- yeah. Yeah, it was uh, that song he would sing for the McDonald's commercials, but he put Jack of the Knife instead of the Knight. Right. Yeah, and then he had the pentagram. So um, a neighbor would see the door open on the next morning and would come across the gruesome scene. Uh, police got to the scene, and, th- and this is like four hours later, okay? Um, Peter's wife... Four hours later? Yeah, this is at 8 in the morning. Here's a twist to the case. So I mentioned bodies. Now, again, her mm-hmm. body was on the ground, but she wasn't dead. Um, yeah, Barbara, although shot in the head and was also raped while after after she was shot. Wow. She pretended to be dead and lied there through the rape, through the masturbation afterwards, through the carving of the... Um, the pentagram and the stuff on the wall through the throw up through him eating she somehow stayed alive for four and a half hours until the police actually got there to check her pulse and she made it actually wow yeah what a survivor she she was a survivor so at the same time san francisco police get there they realize they have a madman on their case glendale police department find out about it and they ask Hey, did you find any shoe prints? So they take a picture. They sent, you know, they, they, you know, they send it down uh, the next day. And then they said, what kind of caliber bullets? They said, can you see if these match that? So they sent that up there. And then they find out about the writing on the wall. And they're like, that could be our guy. So they fly some detectives up there. They do some checking of the ballistics. And as they're investigating, the media catches wind of it and they fly up there. And as they're poking around asking a few police officers, you have a Johnson, our first Johnson mm. up there. Let's hear it. Let's hear what time. Dumb Johnson say. <laughs> so the, the, <laughs> the media goes to, you know, just walking around. He sees a, police, a guy talking to a police officer and he says, Hey, uh, who are you to that uh, police officer? He's like, I'm an off duty police officer. I live in the uh, neighborhood. <laughs> and, uh, they're like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, so, what do you know about this case? I saw you talking to uh, your buddy over there, and he's like, I don't know, some dang fungal gun. And he starts like, like mumbling. He's like, excuse me, sir. Like, what were you trying to say? Oh, you don't. Oh, okay, you don't talk southern. Basically, <laughs> there's some of that fangado. And they're like, what are you talking about? English. And so he's like, let me. Okay, I'll slow it down. So there's some writing on the wall, right? It's like some satanic, like, you know, stuff. And it's the same ones from Los Angeles. And then the reporter's like, wait a minute, same ones from Los Angeles? He's like, yeah, you know all the writing is on the wall by all the murders? And like, no, we haven't heard anything about that. The police haven't said nothing. And then there you go. The media now knows 
there's some satanic worship involved into this. There's some pentagrams. This now adds a real, a deeper dynamic to it. And this is going to freak out. And this is, this is perfect for the media because they love freaking out. They love this stuff. It's juicy. It's super juicy. So now they take that and they run with it. So because of that Johnson information that only the police knew is going to be all over the papers by morning. I bet Man. you the police officer went up to him and said, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm just doing my job. He's like, you're not on your job, Johnson. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Goofy. Yeah. All that information gets out. And now um, you have a satanic panic because before this, just a few years prior, late 70s. Like what you did there. Yeah. See, you have... um was the Manson family who, who wrote Helter Skelter and there was all that uh, satanic stuff that the media was all into thinking that that was, you know, because of the cult and all that. So with Charles Manson, they're thinking, is there another, is this a copycat? Is this, you know, part of that? I mean, now there's questions going all over the place, you know, the satanic panic back then. Um, Yeah. So now this information is everywhere. And, uh, now now they're talking about they're getting more information they know there's beatings there's abuse there's rape there's uh pentagrams uh this guy's there's even more fear and panic now so i don't know if you've ever heard of the woman but you could look her up and she's still on the senate to this day she looked old back then she's ancient now but she's still doing her thing uh senator diane feinstein have you ever heard of her name sounds familiar She's been the California senator for decades. And this woman is a female Johnson. Oh. Yeah. Um, and she, she's still a senator? Yeah, she still is. Doesn't surprise me. Oh, she still dear. Is. Yep. It doesn't surprise me. She's made some pretty crazy things over the years. But if you look her up, I mean, you'll see. I mean, she's involved with this case because of the dumb thing that she does. Kind of like the one in, uh, not the senator, but the mayor in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Hey, less. <laughs> so you have the California, you know, the, the Northern California and Southern California really don't get along too good. And the LAPD was trying to work with the San Francisco PD, but both egos are getting in the way. Um, they won't, they want to take, they aren't thinking that Richard's still up there in Frisco. Um, you know, Frisco's thinking he went down to LA. They both want to, get credit for catching the guy and Feinstein just makes her way into this case sort of like John Cena gets into a wrestling match he doesn't <laughs> belong to he finds a way to get into the championship belt so don't be so disrespectful to John Cena man. what do you say, gotta do with that is so stupid just, are at stake, and they're over there fighting over who's best and who can do it better exactly so Diane Feinstein's the John Cena of uh, of senators and she gets involved into the case she calls a press conference, and because she hung out with these detectives, she decides that, well, I have some valuable information that I could share, and I could look more, um, you know, vote for credible. me. Yeah, I could look credible, credible, I could look important, and again, vote for me. Um, she gets on a press conference, which she calls herself, and the police up there think that they're, she's just going to say, hey, be aware, lock your doors keep your kids closed, maybe even purchase a gun, protect yourself, call the cops if you see something. You know, the normal things that you try to um, 
educate the public with. Mm-hmm. No, Feinstein just comes out there and she says, hey, we got this guy. See, here's the drawing from down south. This is what he looks like. And if you see anybody with an Avia shoe, please call the police. <laughs> well, that narrowed down everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that just gave a huge clue that, again, Richard Ramirez isn't thinking about buying shoes. If he's not brushing his teeth and not washing himself, he's that not thinking. Stupidest thing. He's not thinking about changing clothes, correct? I agree. Well, now he is. Now he is. Thank you, Diane Feinstein. So right away, the police down south, um, you know, detective uh, or the uh, the chief of police, Daryl Gates, who was involved in that Rodney King thing and all that stuff. He was the chief back then. Mayor Bradley, all the all the famous ones from Los Angeles around the eighties and nineties, whenever everything took place, all the detectives down there. Mayor were just, Bradley. Yeah, they were just. Furious, They could not believe this idiot from up north had to involve herself and say stuff without permission. She didn't even ask. She just went out and said, Avia shoes! So, by the way, if anyone wear a pair of Avia shoes, please be advised. Yep, so Richard... Turn yourself in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So right right away, those smelly shoes got thrown in the trash. Oh, she's stupid. Yep. I bet you his feet smelt like just sweat. And... <laughs> I, I just can't. That's what Matt that is stuck on the stench right now. He's like, yeah, dude. Man. He's all, I bet it was rotten cottage cheese <laughs> with with a hint of bell pepper and some onion. That's oh his feet goodness. stink. Oh, my goodness. Onion. <laughs> <laughs> Mushrooms. Exactly, mushrooms. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's. I don't know, man. Like I said, it was the scent of uh, of uh, Skid Row. What you gotta think about it? He had them same pair of shoes for all the murders. Like, yeah, yeah. like because nobody had mentioned that he didn't know they were on to him because of the well, shoes. What I'm saying is, bruh. Yeah, but she's stupid. That was the mm-hmm. one thing identifying was, the guy. Exactly. Yeah, so because hearing this, Richard goes south. He takes off, and he would actually go into Arizona. He would take a bus into Arizona, and um, he would go visit one of his brothers. Now, up in Frisco, he was visiting a cousin. So he was up there visiting a cousin. And so uh, after the murders and stuff and the heat got too hot up there in Frisco, he went to Arizona to visit a friend and uh, also his uh, brother. Um. So, and uh, he would after after that he would then come back to California again on August twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four, and in Mission Viejo now, which is another Orange County area, mm-hmm. very in- inclusive area. Are we in nineteen eighty five or nineteen eighty four? I'm sorry, eighty five. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't want to. I just thought about. It. I'm like, wait, am I? Did I hear five first? <laughs> I know. Gabby's like, so he got in his DeLorean and he went back into 1984. Met Doc. <laughs> yeah, got Doc. He saved him from the uh, the Arabics that were trying to kill him. Remember for stealing the nuclear stuff? And then he came, then he came back to 85. So. Don't forget Marty. Oh, yeah. No, he killed Marty. He called Marty. He killed Marty. So, yeah. Um, 1985. Yeah, back to 1985. Uh, he's in the Mission Viejo area. Um, he comes to a house uh, 
and the owner of uh, his name is Bill Carnes and his wife. Um, he would shoot Bill Carnes once in the head and twice in the chest. Oh man! Um, he would sexually assault Bill Carnes' wife briefly before uh, he heard on the scanner that police heard gunshots, and um, <clears throat> before tying her up and ransacking the house before he left, um, he took off. And as he was getting into his car, she, uh, his wife screamed and neighbors turned on the lights. A 13-year-old kid by the name of James Romero happened to be looking out his window and he saw a orange station wagon and smart kid, he copied down the license plate as it drove off. Smart kid. <clears throat> he sure did. He sure was. And um, crazy enough. Uh, the police and fire and rescue got there in time to save Bill's life, although being shot three times, he survived. Hey. Wow. I was going to say they should make that kid mayor of San Francisco and take that lady down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was he was very smart. Um, he wrote down the, the uh, information and then he told the police. And again, we don't have computers at this time in 1985. The DeLorean didn't go into the future at that point. It only went back. Um he was. They were able to. The police, Gill and um, and uh, I'm forget Frank. They were able to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and an orange station wagon was very rare, so there wasn't too many of them in the Los Angeles area. And once they had the plate number, they were able to narrow it down to a car that had been stolen uh, two days prior in Chinatown, in downtown Los oh. Angeles, oh. which is close to Skid Row. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Now, they put that be on the lookout to all the police and sheriff in in Los Angeles area, and they were able to find that car abandoned next to the 5 freeway. And because they knew it was part of the murder, they dusted it, and voila, they finally got a fingerprint. Oh, dear. Yes. Finally. So about 160 days into the investigation, they finally got a fingerprint. But again, it's 1985. It's going to take a couple days to find out who this person is because now they have to send it to a whole area to analyze one fingerprint Jeez. so as they're doing this another twist comes up um as they're posting the you know they're getting all kinds of tips it's all on the news every night now a new development finding the car a woman from arizona who's talked to her father who is a transient who lives in the Skid Row area and stays and sleeps sometimes at at the uh, Greyhound bus station because it's a big station. A lot of bums go there to sleep and, and you know get off the streets and stay out of the cold. It's 24 yeah. hours. Um, he said that he was telling his daughter one day, hey, I talked to this guy named Rick. And uh, <clears throat> Rick is, uh, you know, he used to do drugs. And, uh, you know... Uh, he talks a lot about the Night Stalker case, and and um, you know, so the police, are, you know, police are like a little, little uh, intrigued about the tip, and the, until the daughter says, "Yeah, he mentioned a twenty-two caliber gun," and that's oh. some, that's something that none of the media knew about. <clears throat> so right away, the police are notified. They get down there within an hour, and they're talking to the guy in, on Skid Row by the bus station. And he says that basically um, the guy named Rick, he doesn't know his last name, uh, talked about a murder in Monterey Park involving a 22 caliber gun that he possibly could have been part of the murder. 
and that he would like that he sold him the gun to which the transient for drug money sold it to a friend in TJ. So the, mm. poli- the police were like, okay, you come with me. We'll give you food and money. We're going to take a flight to TJ and recover that gun. And a day later, they got the gun. Dang. Wow. How did they? Wow. They flew down there. I mean, this was like, hey, boom, boom, boom. We got to do this. We got to catch this guy. So the whole the, the police were like, no matter how much it costs, let's do it. So, like, again, they flew down there. They got the guy who had the gun. They recovered it. They matched it to the prior bullets from other murders. And bada bing, bada boom, match. How did they find the gun in TJ? <laughs> Well, the person knew the person they sold it to. Oh, okay. And here's another kicker, though. Even before they got the ballistics back on the bullets matching, mm-hmm. when they talked to the friend, the man that told him about the gun being sold down there and everything else like that forgot to mention that Rick also sold him a boombox. Mm-hmm. And when they traced that boombox back to some of the things that had been stolen at the crime scenes, it came mm-hmm. back to a murder scene. One of the boom boxes, which for you kids today is just a big ass radio. Pretty um, much. Yeah. Um, that was recovered from one of the crime scenes or stolen from the rec- crime scenes. And uh, so that they knew they were on to the right guy. They knew Rick oh. was a murderer. Jeez. And how do they find this mother effer? So as they're doing that, it's now August 30th. And again, Richard hits out to <clears throat> to um, Arizona. And the same day uh, that they're doing this, San Francisco Police Department is, you know, the LA Police Department's almost ready to, they have a few Richard Ramirez's that they're, that they think his name is Richard Ramirez, but they're, they're checking the fingerprints. They're trying to go through everything. Up north at the same time, they arrest a woman and her boyfriend, Miguel, who is, you know, they got get into a d- domestic dispute, uh-huh. and they find a piece of jewelry that the police have been looking for from that San Francisco house, the Pan House, uh-huh. and on the woman, and they said, "Where did you get this?" And she's like, "Oh, I got it from my boyfriend Miguel, the one who hit me." And then when they ask Miguel, Miguel doesn't want to say anything, so they ask her, "Okay, well, how did Miguel get this?" And they're thinking Miguel's the night stalker. Mm-hmm. because he's kind of looks similar you know because he's mm-hmm. a cousin and and uh <clears throat> she's like oh his uh cousin gave it to him rick and right away when they call down to los angeles los angeles is like we're looking for a rick and so then they start asking her questions and she starts saying well look um like like how, how do you know have you seen rick and she's like yeah he was up here last week he was wearing uh an acdc hat he had a black um uh members only jacket and uh they're all like what kind of shoes was he wearing and she's like i don't know some weird kind i've never seen him before and then she's like, oh yeah by the way his breath smells (laughs) (laughs) that's random yeah the cops were like well we didn't need wait a minute (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) wow yeah he smell like this (laughs) yeah she's like well yeah he did (laughs) that's random he so smelled like a urinal. That is totally him. She's all like, "Yeah, he had a gray shirt and black pants, and his breath stink." <laughs> <laughs> and she's, and then the cops like, "You already told us, yeah, but his breath smell." Breath stink. <laughs> like turpentine. <laughs> yeah. So 
they're going through this entire thing that now finally because it's such a case they have to share information mm-hmm. they're telling the los angeles police department and they're trying to get information out of miguel miguel won't say anything so he doesn't say anything he he won't cop to anything so by this time though the fingerprints come through and with the information up north and now down south um they now know that it is richard ramirez the guy that they've been looking for this entire time so then and they had a mug shot from petty theft that he did about eight to nine months ago so he had no murders on his because again the other stuff from el paso never showed up or anywhere else it was just the petty theft that he had been caught on Mm -hmm. no drugs no murder no nothing like that so by this time they did a press conference late that night on august 30th stating who richard ramirez was they plastered his picture everywhere now the entire state of california knows it's freaking richard ramirez and at the same time he's coming back on the greyhound again because remember he left the, he committed those murders on the 27th he mm-hmm. went out there the next day now he's coming back from arizona again and the police are thinking because they plastered the his picture everywhere he's going to be leaving los angeles so They get a bunch of their uh, detectives and police officers and dress them up like bums, have them waiting at the bus station at the departing area. Unbeknownst Mm. unbeknownst to them, on the other side of the bus station, Richard comes in like, yeah, he's (laughs) arriving and nobody's even looking for him. They're all, all, man, where is this? Hey, where's this guy at? I'm looking for a Ramirez guy. And then they're like, (laughs) hey, is there a Ramirez here? And like 10 people turn around, but they're nothing close to, you know, the Ramirez, and then Ramirez is like walking in through the through the other way, just no one even looking his way. Wow. He might as well have like a, a shirt that says, I'm the Night Stalker. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so everybody's on the other side. Yeah, they're not even looking at him. So um, here's here's the twist. Here's here's where it all goes down, though. Oh. Um, so he um, he's going about his business, and he has – he's the one thing he failed to do was realize that his mugshot was everywhere. So he goes to a liquor store and right away, um, there is uh, two little old ladies, little Mexican ladies. And they were like, like El Diablo, El Diablo. And they start yelling that. And he's like, huh? And then he looks over at a newspaper and there's his face and they're calling him the devil. And uh, so he he's like, oh, that was great Spanish, by the way. Tom. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> not, the, not the greatest. Uh, <laughs> and, and then he had Consuela there, and she's like, no, 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 no. Dios mío, oh, yeah. I get the Windex, spray the man, spray Diablo, no, Diablo, Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> Diablo. Diablo. My man said Diablo. <laughs> Diablo. Yeah, That's Diablo. That's Satan's son. It's that quesadilla. Quesadilla. <laughs> oh, fair. So, um, yeah, they see they see him, and he he panics, and he runs to a bus, gets on the bus, kind of sits down, puts his head in his lap a little bit. Wait to a try minute. To- he ran to get the bus, like another Greyhound or a city bus? Oh, city bus. Sorry. So he got, oh, okay. he, yeah, he got on the city bus. I'm and... put the homeless so, cops so in So he, he finally realized the gig is up. Yeah, he, he's got to get away. So he he gets on the bus and he starts traveling westward try, trying to get back into the Skid Row area. 
But the problem is now, you know, everyone's got newspaper or they've seen the picture and he's getting stared at. He's getting glared at. And they're probably like, hey, can I smell your teeth? And he's like, no. And so they're like, oh, that's the guy. So so right away, um, he pulls the string on the on the bus, you know, to, to let him off at the next station. So he gets he get uh, as he gets off, he's hearing, you know, people chatting. And one guy goes, hey, get back here. So he runs across the street through traffic. And right away, that guy goes to a pay phone. And he also sees a city worker. And he tells a city worker, follow that bus because he sees Richard get on a bus now going eastward. So the guy in the gas truck for the city gets in the truck and starts following him. The guy who saw him calls on a payphone to 911. And right away, LAPD hears about it. Here comes all these helicopters in the sky. They're sending everyone out to East L.A. There's every cop in the area is heading now towards East L.A. And as he's driving on the bus, he sees outside the window, there's helicopters heading towards his vicinity. There, he's hearing police sirens. So right away, he pulls the cord again. Someone else on the bus says, Diablo, Diablo. And he, he gets up out of his seat, jumps out the bus as it's still going. And he actually runs through several neighborhoods. And in the five freeway, he he actually go, goes, he crosses the entire five freeway. Oh, wow. Yeah, on he, foot? On foot. He's dodging cars and he makes it across. Um, so somehow he does a little frogger and he makes it across without getting squished. <laughs> and he gets into the neighborhood of Indiana Street, which is loaded with gang members at this time. Uh-huh. And uh, he he tries to carjack a woman on Indiana Street, and she yells the same thing, the devil, the devil. And right away, there's these gang members just chilling, and they turn into good Samaritans all of a sudden, and they're coming over there, and they're going to whoop his ass. And they start running running with knives and stuff, and he sees them, and he's like, oh, God, I got to get out of here. And he starts running a couple blocks over to Hubbard Street, and he tries to carjack Manuela De La Torre by knife point. And as he's trying to get her in the car, her husband's having none of that. Um, he comes out with a metal pipe, and Miguel <laughs> pops him over the head twice. Where he, dro- he drops the knife, and then here come all the gangbangers and the people from around the neighborhood, and they start jumping him, beating the snot out of him. Yes. And street justice. Street justice all the way. But the, the thing is, though, the sheriffs have to come with guns firing in the air to disperse the crowd because if they don't, they're going to they're gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, they were trying to kill him. And there was a guy who was coming with an axe. Oh, crap. <laughs> and so the cops had to, like, be like, hey, bro. <laughs> yeah, they were like, hold on a minute, man. Hold on a minute. <laughs> so they actually had to come with riot gear to disperse the crowd. And they came in there and they saved Richard. And uh, his skull was a was a bit fractured in the beating. It should have been a lot fractured. Let me yes. ask the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt's like, don't ask no questions. <laughs> he got what he deserved, though. Yeah, he he got to, and and the neighborhood wound up throwing a party. They were all over the news uh, because they were the ones that caught the elusive Night Stalker. Dang! Oh, that, that I will celebrate too. Yep. So as we, <laughs> yeah, street justice all the way too. On top of it, but on 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 as we wrap this up on July twenty second, nineteen eighty eight, his case would finally go to trial. Thanks now, for three years. 
Yeah, three years. Because they had to get all the cases together, San Francisco, here, all the different jurisdictions and cities. Finally, they got all the evidence to jail. He was dead to right. You know, they had him. But the twist is, another twist in this story, if you see the before and after pictures of Richard Ramirez when he was in jail, when he got, um, when he came to his final, you know, the actual court case starting in 88, his teeth were fixed. Either he had veneers, they pulled all his teeth. I mean, the dentist that was working in the county jail should be working in Beverly Hills because the job he did on dude's teeth is amazing. Like, I want to hire the guy. You know, Why do they get those benefits for freaking free when people are struggling to pay their damn insurances to get braces? Gabby, it looked like even back then he got about $6,000 worth of work. His teeth, He had a smile that all of a sudden he came into, into court with long clean hair so he looked like a guy that you know was either in a 80s rock band or he was like in metallica or he could have been in the rolling stones he had these big sunglasses on now all of a sudden you know before when he would smile you saw you know his teeth were disheveled crooked yellow his gums were bleeding now you go in there and he has this perfect pearly white smile and and now he looks handsome CGI. he's put on he's put on weight yeah, he was CGI before CGI. <laughs> you know, I haven't even been able to get braces, and this mother effer got a whole new mouth. Yeah, it's like he filtered himself. I mean, if you look at the before and after what pictures, is wrong with the system. Yeah, they care of their the bad. I mean, I don't... they get freaking VIP treatment after killing people and being assholes and not caring about anybody. <clears throat> yeah. And here, here's was the worst part too. So not only does he look amazing, he doesn't look like that scary beast that he was on the street. Now he looks like someone that just looks like he's rich, you know, because he's put on weight. He's got muscles. He's, he's, you know, now you have these freaks that are women that are outside the courtroom waiting for him to get transferred to court to get a glimpse at him. They're flashing him. They have what? signs that say "Marry me." They're screaming what? his name. Yes. Oh they, God! Some of these women are battling to get into the courtroom just so they can get a glimpse at him. During the during the court session, they have to excuse some of the people because they're too loud. The women and the women that are there, he looks back at them and winks at them. He stupid. I'm sorry. But twisted, disgusting women like that should have been the ones in the place of all the women that got shot and killed. Exactly. Hey, that makes sense. Stupid ass broads. And from the moment that he's arrested, before he gets the teeth done, the preliminaries that happen, you know, when you're first charged with stuff. Uh huh. Before he had all that stuff done, he looks terrible. He looks scary. He has a deep, disgusting voice. And he had a pentagram drawn on his hand and he says, hell, Satan. And he says all these, like, I'll play some of the audio for the podcast maybe, or I'll leave it on the page. He says some pretty disturbing stuff. And then when it comes down to it too, he's laughing, you know, when he's all fixed up and ready to go for his case three years later, he's laughing when the details are being read about the, you know, and the testimony from the victims and survivors and their family. Like he just has no remorse whatsoever. What a bastard. Yep. And so because of the fingerprints, the drawings, the shoes, the ballistics, 
the crime scene, the the testimony, everything. Um, he is convicted of 13 murders, five attempted murders, 11 mm-hmm. sexual assaults. For some reason, he wasn't um, tried or convicted of the molestations of those children. Um, but he also got burglary charges as well. And he was sentenced to death in 1989 to be uh, to be murdered by California's gas chamber. Gas chamber? Yeah, they had the gas chamber still at that time. Oh, okay. Did he actually get killed that way? Of course or not. I'm going to be mad. Oh, you're going to be mad. Um, be- <laughs> because right. this... <laughs> Because this is the beautiful state of California and it's full of liberals, uh, they decided that the death penalty is not uh, kosher, and uh, yeah. so they stopped it even back then, and or they or they put you on, like say for instance they made it longer than like if this was Texas he'd be dead in less than two years, mm-hmm. but since it's California there's massive amounts of appeals that can take years upon years sometimes decades. And so before the governor of California, which is uh, Newscom, uh, canceled <laughs> death penalties altogether just a couple years ago, you still, like guys like uh, the Man- Charles Manson, he didn't die of the death penalty, which he should have been, and, and a few other yeah. killers. They died of old age or from, you know, complications, stuff like that, you know? How did this stupid ass die? Well, before he, before he even got to that point, Gabby, this will make you happy. Uh, in San Quentin Prison, which it's is one of the... Cut off his dick? No. <laughs> not that, that kind of happy. Huh? No, I said that would make me happy. Well, that yeah, we know that off with his wang would work, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, it was the opposite, Gabby. He had a uh, judge that said, uh, oh, no, someone else should use your wang. He was allowed to get married and have conjugal visits. What mm. the heck? Mm. Who would want to? So, so you got a wang. I'm not going to mention her name because she's pathetic for marrying this guy, first of all. And second, I mean, how do you allow... Do mention guy... her name, Todd. What's that? Do mention her name. Well, I have. <laughs> I, didn't inc- I didn't write that in my script, but I do know her name and I just don't want to mention it. So... Dang it, Todd. Got it. <laughs> I do understand. It. I'm just saying. Um, she got a couple conjugal visits with this guy and I don't understand how you're able to allow a guy that did so much... De- you know, vile things to get his wang wet. I don't understand. Exactly. But um, they were married in 96. So in 1996, just seven years after his, his conviction, he was married. Um, but he did have some comeuppance. Um, he was diagnosed in 2012 with uh, B-cell lymphoma. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that was flowing through his blood. So it was slowly killing him. And um could have been diagnosed with prostate cancer and all kinds of other cancer, testicle cancer, dick <laughs> cancer, all of it. Let it rot off. Yeah. Well, from all indications, the final six months of his life were not uh, were not uh, pain free, and they were not kosher and not a good time for him. Uh, doctors said that he did suffer a lot um, towards the end. Uh, before his body gave out in uh, and his, he should and his body deteriorated in late 2013 he passed away on June 7th and that was the end of Richard Ramirez Oof. 
<sighs> so he died due to complications of his own body. Yeah, his body wound up getting him, not the gas chamber. So he died on, um, I mean, like he used up a lot of those uh, appeals. I mean, you could stretch him. A lot, of the, a lot of these guys will be like, you know, I'll take an appeal. I, I, I'll stretch it out for. How I think, do these stupid asses still appeal? It's part of the court system. It's whatever, whatever they came up with in the state of California. They have, that. yeah, they have about five to six years between appeals. I mean, they stretch they it out. Have a right or a chance to appeal crap mm-hmm. and have that slight chance that they can get out. They don't deserve that. I agree. Yep. I agree as well. But what do you guys think of the Night Stalker? I think he's a dirt bag. He's scum. He is dirt. Well, yeah. yeah, clearly now. He should have been raped and molested and chopped off in pieces. I, don't I mean, I'm glad he suffered. Him. I'm glad he suffered regardless, but still, that's not the way it should have been. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, something like that. You kind of want them to have a taste of their own medicines to show them all the pain that they afflicted on the victim. Especially when you go against children. Yeah. Well, he he should have gotten, I would have gotten one of my dad's knives right here and just sliced him slowly. Well, we all know that jail system, that jail justice is good when it comes to uh, prisoners that are in there that uh, dealt with children. Street just uh, jail justice is definitely uh, good on that. So I'm quite sure before he died, he, he probably got some jail justice. Well, no, he was he was actually segregated because when you're on when you're yeah. on death row, you have your own area. So no, not nothing from him at all. So, but That's I'll t- stupid. I'll tell you this though, a little bit on Richard Ramirez's wife since you guys asked for it. Um, so this lady, she was 41 at the time when Richard was 25, when he was caught. Um, <clears throat> she married him in 96, so she would be then 48 when he was 33. Mm-hmm. And she was a freelance teen magazine editor from Burbank, California. So she was just... Uh, Why did she like him? She liked him because he was cute. Um, when, a scene editor. That's a good job. Yeah, but she she used her 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 uh, I guess connections to to visit him in San Quentin uh, four times a week. And uh, a week. Yeah, she claimed to be a self practicing Catholic virgin, and uh, she said Ramirez would have been her first, and that he deflowered her, but. Uh, Magically, after they got married, she began to get tattoos. Um, several of them were satanic, of course, inspired. And uh, one that was across her back that said, Hell Satan. So there you go. Of course. Yeah. Her name was Doreen Layoy. I'm shocked that Layoy. he was like even into her being Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I think she used that virgin aspect to get him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I highly doubt she was. <laughs> she was probably a born-again virgin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she probably put some super glue right there and was like, hey, look, I'm a virgin. 
That is so stupid. I mean, yeah. like, you know, they say everybody deserves love, but for someone... Not someone like that. A monster like that. I'm sorry. He, they he don't deserve a lot of day. California is so linear. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? <clears throat> so passive when it comes to the death penalty that he should have died as soon as he got convicted. Yeah. I Immediately. Mean, for the things that they did, or he did, like, that guy doesn't deserve to be breathing much longer. You know? Yeah. And still getting all those rights, he got to get married and still having sex That's with his saying. wife. Conjugal visits. How is up with that? Marriage. And being isolated from everybody else. That's not fair. And not only that, getting thrown, the girls are throwing themselves, oh, Richard, no, my God. Like a celebrity. That's All these up. stupid people have no brains. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen the picture that I posted on the first episode with his teeth all raunchy, that's that's what he looked like. I've seen it. And the guy then, has pretty jacked up teeth, like someone lit a firecracker in his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hear that, or they're all like, fire in the hole, and it was like... Fire in the hole. Yeah. They all shifted. Yeah. And I'll, just, I'll show you a picture of what he looked like when he went into court and how everyone was just, like, loving this guy. So, yeah. He became a celebrity in his own right and uh, disgusted so a lot of people. I feel bad for the victims, honestly. That's like literally making a joke out of everybody exactly. who suffered. Exactly. He, ru- he ruined a lot of lives. I mean, a lot of lives affected a lot of people. Yeah, the sad thing, though, is that they let him. Yeah. Everybody else who should have had some damn sense let him. Yep. Yeah. This guy just and I got a lot of pictures I'll have ready for you guys once I post this, but uh yeah, I mean this was a twisted case. Um definitely a serial killer unlike any other that just yes. ventured into every um everything depravity that he could, you know, like every kind of thing that he could just mess with, he did. So um and he had no remorse, zero remorse. Yeah. Uh, well, you relive the feelings I felt for him when we first did this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was—I I think you could agree that we did not touch on as much as I got into. We this We right? did not actually. Some of the stuff that you mentioned, I remember, but some of the, the a lot of it, like seventy percent of it, was new to me again. So it's like, whoa, I didn't know that. So. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely did more than 35 minutes like we did the first time. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, different audience. I mean, a different um, host at the time as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and a lot of details, a lot of reaction as well. What he said. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no off with the wang back then. Stop it, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's drop it right there. <laughs> oh man! Well, that's all. That that's that's the ending, Todd. That's the ending for this episode. Yeah. Oh man! Unfortunately, he didn't get the justice we wish he did, but at least he suffered the last years of his life, and um, 
even though he didn't get to suffer, he didn't suffer the way his victims did. You know, he still suffered in some in some sense. I just I just feel it's ironic. You know, he started his life with a head injury, and he, he just about ended it with a head head injury as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Todd, for breaking down part three, the finale of the Richard R- Ramirez Night Stalker story. So, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, we thank you for listening to us. Uh, if you want to continue to listen to us, you can go to our Facebook page and Instagram pages and follow our page, like our page, and leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Okay, well, that's it for today. We want to thank you guys, and we're going to be signing off pretty soon. This has been your host, Maddie Mack, along with Gabby Gab and Todd Fox. And we are signing off. Toodles. Peace. No, 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 listen to another podcast. Listen to this one. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.